everyone, welcome to the 13th episode of the Sports Hoop Podcast, where we're going to be discussing a number of topics in the current world of Formula 1, including Sebastian Vettel's retirement, and the current transfer saga that has spawned from Vettel's retirement. So I'm once again joined by Noah, so how are you, Noah? I'm good, how are you? Yeah, all good. So... Obviously, I'll start off first, where obviously I'll sort of voice my opinions on Seb's retirement, and then obviously Noah will follow, and then we'll move into the transfer saga that's been caused since Seb has retired. So initially, what are my thoughts on Sebastian Vettel's retirement? It's incredibly disappointing that an exceptional driver, an individual who was a beacon of positive humanity throughout his illustrious career, especially in the latter years of his career in Formula 1, has retired from the sport. Like, Formula 1 will not be the same without him as a result of his impressive driving prowess and his acts of general decency that define him as one of the most influential drivers of his era. Like, a number of those acts of general decency are whenever he wore the Pride flag t-shirt at the Hungarian Grand Prix last year, campaigning against a number of the rights or a number of the laws that were imposed by the Hungarian government that did not benefit the LGBTQI plus community. Then, obviously, there was another instance where he um, cleaned the stands at the 2021 British Grand Prix. Obviously, a lot of fans had left their pint glasses and their food, but he cleaned up a number of supporters after the race. And then in, also in 2021, he he arranged a women's inclusivity karting race in Saudi Arabia, a country which, is, which does not have an impressive track record in accordance to rights for women. So those are just three examples of his exemplary behaviour off track. And now for his legacy on the track. Right from the get-go almost, um, on his debut in Formula 1, he was exceptional. He scored points in his first race of short notice. Obviously, Robert Kubica crashed at the 2007 Canadian Grand Prix and suffered a number of minor injuries, which ruled him out from the 2007 US Grand Prix. And obviously, Sebastian was skyrocketed into that sober seat for the US Grand Prix weekend. And he did finish in the top 10, finishing 8th place, which is exceptional for a driver who has little to no experience in the car. And I felt everyone was aware of the talent that Sebastian possessed following that performance. And soon enough, he was in the Toro Rosso seat for the 2007 Hungarian Grand Prix. And then obviously he was offered a full-time contract with the team. And then a year later, after a number of, we would say, mixed performances, he finally adapted to that Toro Rosso car and won the 2008 Italian Grand Prix. This Toro Rosso car was not, expected to win Grand Prix. It was a midfield backmarking car and it was a car that, that Seb was supposed to gain experience in before he could potentially make a move to an upper midfield team or a top team and he defied all odds that weekend and he got pole position the day before the race and qualifying and that's difficult in the rain. I know that the rain and wet weather conditions can bunch up the field and fragment things but there were a number of drivers who were in top cars and capable of driving exceptional races in the rain and exceptional qualifying races in the rain. But Seb still got pole position in a Toro Rosso car and he controlled everything throughout the race. Didn't lose car control even once, was so composed and relaxed throughout the whole race. 
and led from start to finish in mixed weather conditions and won his first Grand Prix against all odds. Then a Red Bull team which was struggling towards the back end of 2009 or 2008, I apologise. They're the senior team for Toro Rosso and they were inclined to obviously replace their driver David Coulthard with Vettel because they believed that he was the young driver that they could build their project around and potentially challenge for world championships in the future. And that bet, it paid off. And only in his third race with the team at the 2009 Chinese Grand Prix, he won his first race with the team in wet weather conditions. And then obviously he won a number of races in, in that 2009 season and was not far off challenging for the world championship, just losing out to Jensen Button by a hair at the end. But then came 2010, a season that was riddled by a number of, we would say, misdemeanors on the track, especially with his teammate Mark Webber. But he did obviously maximise the opportunity. He was presented in the final race in Abu Dhabi and he won his first world championship. And then obviously a dominant season in 2011 followed. And then in 2020, 2012, he was embroiled in a season-long battle with Fernando Alonso that swung pedestal time and time again he eventually just edged out Alonso in one of his greatest ever seasons people do argue that Alonso may have deserved that title as he was in inferior machinery in that Ferrari at the time but Vettel he did make the most of all the opportunities he was presented with unlike Alonso and that was the reason he won the championship that year that was the springboard into 2013 where he absolutely dominated the sport and I would say reached his prime as a racing driver and his qualifying performances and even his racing performances to some extent improved as he would put the car on the front row for the majority of the weekends and then race ahead in the lead at the start and win the race and he did that on 13 out of the 19 occasions that year and once won a spectacular nine races in a row, equaling Schumacher's record of 13 wins in a season and setting his own record record of nine consecutive wins. Then we would say we witnessed a decline in his form. Obviously, a young Daniel Ricciardo came into the team and pulled off an underdog performance in 2014 and humiliated Seb, in my opinion, consistently beat him in the races and beat him in qualifying on the majority of occasions. And Seb was, he didn't really have any purpose to remain at that Red Bull team anymore. His stock had dropped as a racing driver. And Daniel Ricciardo was the new leader and the new driver that Red Bull wanted to build their services around. So that inspired Seb to make another high-profile move to his boyhood team, Ferrari. And he it didn't quite work out to the extent people would expect it to have. Obviously, 2015 was a promising season. He won three races and competed to the Mercedes with, to some extent at some races that year. Obviously, in the 2015 Malaysian Grand Prix, he beat the Mercedes fair and square, both Mercedes cars. He did similar at the 2015 Hungarian Grand Prix and he did it once again at the 2015 Singapore Grand Prix, probably his most dominant performance of the season taking pole on the Saturday and then converting that pole into a victory on Sunday and he did actually challenge Nico Rosberg for second in the championship despite Rosberg being in a far superior car but 
many people were expecting Seb to kick on from that year and challenge in 2016 and 2017. 2016 was not the most impressive year. Obviously, Ferrari were in subpar machinery, but he still did drive that Ferrari to fourth place in the championship and almost won a number of Grand Prix. And then in 2017, obviously, as the regulations changed, he did have his first chance to win the world championship with Ferrari. It was an impressive start, and he actually led Hamilton by 13 points by the summer break. But then the second half of the season... He witnessed the decline, obviously a number of driving errors, subpar strategy calls and unreliable machinery from Ferrari obviously cost him an opportunity to win that 2017 title. And it was a similar case in 2018. He obviously, he started off exceptionally winning the first two races. And for the majority of that first half of the season, he was the championship leader. But Ferrari could just not continue the momentum throughout the second half of the season. Seb was affected by by his error that obviously he made at his home race in Germany where he crashed out of the lead and lost the championship lead as well to Lewis Hamilton and then obviously Lewis Hamilton's confidence went right through the roof throughout that second half of that year and he won the championship in dominant fashion in the end and then by 2019 Seb was sort of at that place where he was in 2014 he was at a crossroads obviously Charles Leclerc a young driver came into the team and he was determined to become the new leader of Ferrari, effectively what Ricardo did to him at Red Bull in 2014. And he succeeded in that task and beat Seb narrowly in 2019. And then by the time we reached 2020, Seb came into the season with his Ferrari future in doubt. And obviously Leclerc was the much more polished driver in 2019, while Seb was making uncharacteristic mistakes and 2020 especially after his Ferrari dropping before the start of the season it was a difficult year Leclerc was clear number one driver and machinery in 2020 was well below average and Seb had absolutely no chance to challenge for any wins or championships in 2020 obviously he was sold a dream in 2021 to move to Aston Martin, they were a team that were at the upper end of the midfield and were actually ahead of Ferrari at that stage. And Seb was optimistic that Aston Martin could kick on and potentially challenge for world championships, especially after the regulation change in 2022. But the 2021 car that Aston Martin produced was slightly different to the controversial 2020 car that they released as Racing Point, as a number of the we would say the factors of the car that were similar to the Mercedes of 2019 had to be removed from the car and they were significantly slower. And then obviously throughout the 2022 regulation change, they they did not perfect that car and it has been one of the worst cars in the grid in 2022. And whenever Seb, we would say probably reached that crossroads for for the third time of his career with a third different team, he was thinking to himself, there's limited opportunities elsewhere to be successful in this sport and I'm not achieving any success with Aston Martin. And Considering I have a young family at home, I have other interests including human activism and environmental issues, he was probably thinking to himself, I think that he probably was thinking, I apologise, that the cons probably 
outweighed the pros of staying in Formula 1 and obviously he's inevitably announced his retirement from the sport at the age of 35. I believe if he were in superior machinery or if he had the opportunity to move to a different team or if Aston Martin could have maybe achieved something greater than they had, I'd say he would have had a number of years to continue to display his exceptional driving ability in the sport. But unfortunately, it wasn't to be. We have to thank him for the, the memories he's created in the minds of Formula One and sports fans over the last 15 years. And we wish him all the luck in the world for future endeavours. Now Noah's going to voice his opinion on Vettel's retirement and his career. Yeah, so obviously it's it was a big shock to see um, Seb announce his retirement. You know, it came came right out of left field. I don't think anyone was expecting it. Um, but so recently we noticed he obviously downloaded Instagram and he's expressed his opposition to that in the past. So it was a bit it was a bit strange when when he did get it and the first thing he did was say he was going to announce something so suspicions were raised and lo and behold uh seven ounces retirement and it's it's very it's sad that we will that we won't have any more um you know he's a big character uh, on and off the track and an excellent driver and an excellent person so it's a, it's definitely a, a big disappointment to see him go. Um, he will be missed, but uh, ultimately it's it's his decision. And yeah, um, although it is a shame, maybe maybe for him it it is the right time to retire. So anyway, I'm gonna start talking about his his off track activism first, and um, I feel it needs to be mentioned. Um, you know, he's always sort of been one of those people who who aren't afraid to voice their opinion, even if it even if it will uh, uh, annoy many people. Um, he's always been a, a, a strong advocate of of supporting measures to tackle climate change and global warming and helping the environment, such a and. A, uh, example of this would be, um, as Luke mentioned, when he helped clean out the stands at Silverstone in 2021. And obviously, more recently, uh, at the Canadian Grand Prix, um, he questions uh, the Canadian government's decision to uh, mine the Alberta oil pans uh, by wearing a t-shirt and helmet patch, calling it, um, calling it. Canada's climate crime and yeah he's always sort of been he's always sort of been voicing his opinions on these these matters and you know I think you have to respect him for for not being afraid to stand up and voice his opinion Thanks Noah so um, would you, do you have anything that you'd like to voice on his on-track career?
So that'll obviously start as F1 career in 2006 with uh, BMW Sauber. Uh, he made a, a special uh, sort of once-off appearance in the US Grand Prix. And, you know, he impressed, uh, you know, I'm sure, like, at the time, not much would have been expected of him since it, it was his first race in F1. But he put in a solid performance and finished in quite a high position in that race. And then, just about a year later, um, he managed to get secure his first victory with Toro Rosso at Monza, which was an excellent moment for him. And uh, very impressive for someone who who only raced their, for the first time in Formula 1 a year prior to that. And then, obviously, we'll get more into his... his um, honours and his victories uh, in F1. Um, he won, uh, From 2010 to 2013, he won, well, an unprecedented uh, four consecutive titles. And, you know, uh, in, in that period of time, he also set records for the most consecutive race wins and the most race wins in a single season. Um, so we'll talk more about the his victories and yeah. So in two thousand ten, it was a it was his first championship. He edged out uh, Fernando Alonso. Both you could argue that both absolutely deserved the title, but ultimately it was said because hands on the trophy in the end. And yeah, you can't you can't say he didn't deserve it really. And then in two thousand eleven, it was more. It was more of a convincing victory uh, for Seb, um, beating out Jensen Button by over 100 points. A pretty convincing victory for him and a very impressive season for Seb. And then in 2012, his third title, his third in a row, actually, um, again coming up against his old foe, Fernando Alonso, just about beating him out again. Uh, another season which you could argue that both deserved it, but ultimately, again, Seb got his hands on the trophy. And then finally, there was one last matchup between Seb and Longzo, and this time it was a very convincing win for Seb, possibly the, the, best, the best of his four world championships. You know... In the second half of the season, he won every race, which was, you know, an incredible achievement. And you know, it's it's unprecedented. It's like you can't you cannot say he didn't deserve this title. There's no argument against it. And then obviously, Seb decided he would move to to Ferrari in 2015, which was it. It was mixed. Um, it was he didn't win any championships, but there were seasons in which he performed extremely well, including 2017, where he was the closest uh, challenger to Lewis Hamilton. Uh, uh, unfortunately for him, missing out. Um, you know, Hamilton just had the edge on that season, and ultimately he ended up winning the title. And then again, they clashed in 2018, 
Um, it was looking good for Real at the start, as Luke mentioned, but you know, uh, Hamilton quickly got got going, and look, he he convincingly won the title in the end, and yeah, he deserved it. And then things things slowly began to go a little bit downhill at Ferrari for South, and um. You know, in his final sitting there, things just weren't going well, well at all. There were clashes between him and his mechanics, and there were there were questions surrounding the his morale and everything seemed bleak at Ferrari. And this all culminated in him leaving and uh, joining newly founded uh, Aston Martin, um, who he would partner uh, Lance Stroll, um. And things were starting to look positive again. You know, people were excited to see him racing in this new car, the the reincarnation of Racing Point, obviously. And people people expected people expected the Aston Martin to be to you know I guess throw a spanner in the works, would you say? And just be just be that interesting team. You know, you don't really know who they're going to do, but a lot of people believe they would they would end up doing well um, and in their first season they they didn't do amazingly but it wasn't the worst season for them considering it was their first season in F1 and people obviously expected them with the, the new regulation changes people obviously expected them to to improve even more the next season but you know for where we're at the summer right now this season and things just haven't gone well at all. Aston Martin have been extremely poor. Uh, seven Stroll just haven't been haven't been finishing in high positions. But you know what can I really do on that car? And this all ended up with Seb um, unfortunately announcing his retirement um, around a week ago and. Yeah, you know, it's it's incredibly disappointing, but look, you know, if that's what he wants to do, that's what he wants to do. And just to just to round things off, um I'm gonna talk about his work as the GBT the GPDA director and how even though he's retired he might stay on as a director. You know, the drivers do want him to remain on. They obviously respect him very highly. Um, as Esteban Ocon said, uh, he, is, he is a great ambassador for all the drivers, and he raised his voice when there was a concern for our safety and for any sort of things he didn't like in regards to the drivers. And, you know, people, uh, the drivers, they all, there seems to be a, a unanimous desire for him to stay on as director of the GPDA so you know I think uh, we will all be hoping that he he remains on and continues to stand up for the drivers and you know continue to voice his opinions and really really be a, a positive pres- presence around the paddock okay thanks Noah now we're going to speak about the 
controversial transfer saga that has spawned from Vettel's retirement, obviously not directly caused or intended by Seb, but it has been erosion by Seb's retirement. Obviously, Fernando Alonso on Monday surprisingly replaced Vettel at Aston Martin, a controversial decision by Alonso and Aston Martin. And I don't know if the partnership is going to be successful. Obviously, Fernando Alonso is, we would say, a raucous and pompous character. Um, he has had his clashes and his falling outs with teams before, and it appears that he, it, it was a similar situation at Alpine. Obviously, Alpine were willing to offer Alonso a further year on his deal until the end of 2023. But Alonso um, believes that um, Alpine did not consider him a long-term option for their project. And he felt disrespected and undervalued. And he surprisingly signed for Aston Martin, where he was offered a long-term deal. And he will be a long-term component of a project which isn't exactly firing on all cylinders, but still may have potential. And that has left Alpine in a situation where they believed was still prosperous, but in reality isn't. They thought they still had the young Oscar Piastri waiting in the wings to take Alonso's seat and become their young prospect alongside Esteban Ocon. And they believed that them two young drivers would be able to succeed collectively and bring Alpine further up the field. But Alpine... um, they were quickly brought down to earth as despite the fact they announced them as their 2023 racing driver, Piastri, a number of hours later, actually announced that he had not signed a deal with Alpine and that the reason he was announced as 2023 racing driver was because whenever he joined the academy in 2019, there was a clause in the contract that stated Oscar Piastri would be obliged to join the Alpine Formula 1 team if the opportunity were to become available. But the controversy lies that that opportunity and clause in the contract expired on July 31st, 2022. And Alpine announced Oscar Piastri as a racing driver on August 2nd, 2022 which means that it was not legal that Alpine could sign and announce Oscar Piastri as their 2023 driver. And it appears that Oscar Piastri has held talks with other teams and is interested in joining another team instead of Alpine, most likely McLaren, where he'll replace Daniel Ricciardo. And we're sort of at this, we would say, limbo situation where Alpine... They're still backing themselves. They believe that they're still Piastri still obliged to drive for them, while Piastri believes he's not, and while McLaren are just there waiting in the wings and just willing to get negotiations completed with Piastri, but they are unable to at the moment. So that's another another frustrating situation for the Woking team, but. I'd say by the latter stages of this summer break, it will be rectified and we will have a finalisation of the contracts, whether it be Piastri at Alpine or McLaren or maybe potentially neither of the teams. And now for my predictions of who I believe will go where. 
I believe Oscar Piastri will not sign for Alpine despite contractual obligements, and I believe that he will complete that deal with McLaren, probably as a result of a bit of legal interference. And then I believe that um, Alpine or McLaren struggling, we would say sleeping giant Daniel Ricciardo will leave McLaren and join his former team Alpine, which were formerly Renault at the time. Because Ricardo impressed in his final season at Renault slash Alpine and he challenged for fourth in the World Championship and scored a number of podiums and overperformed in that car. But then obviously he has struggled to adapt to that Mercedes power unit. So maybe a move back to a Renault power unit will benefit Ricardo in the long run. And now for Williams, a team that also of a spare seat obviously they have renewed Alex Albon's contract through to potentially the end of 2024 or 2025 but they still have an extra seat at the team and the three drivers that will be likely to contest for that seat are their current driver Nicholas Latifi, their reserve driver Logan Sargent and Mercedes junior Nick DeVries. I don't believe Nicholas Latifi is of the quality to remain at Williams and I believe that they are no longer requiring his investment money and they will be willing to move him on and their two options are either Sargent or De Vries and I believe it will be Sargent in that Williams seat as much as I believe that De Vries deserves a Formula 1 seat he's obviously gained a lot of experience on the pit wall with Mercedes who are a partner team of Williams but I believe that Sargent he has been tied with Williams for the past year and he um, has impressed in Formula Formula 2 and this is an impressive opportunity for Williams to, we would say, recruit internally and be work independently for a change, which is, we would say, a welcome boost for the Williams team because I don't think there's been a time in foreseeable memory where they've had two drivers who are either tied down to the team long term or recruited internally at the team I think the last time would have to be Felipe Massa and Valtteri Bottas obviously Massa was tied down on a multi-year deal and Bottas was despite being managed by Mercedes's total wolf he was still tied down to the team on a long-term contract so I think this will be the first time in around six years that they will have a driver lineup that is strictly what they have chosen and is recruited by themselves. So I feel they'll be willing to do that with a young talent who has plenty of potential, maybe even as much potential as Oscar Piastri, only narrowly lost the F2 title to him in 2020. And then at Haas, where there's murmurs that Mick Schumacher might lose his seat. I believe that he will retain his seat, but I don't think it will come without a threat. Obviously, Antonio Giovinazzi is pushing up a strong campaign to take his seat, but I think it will be Schumacher who will retain his seat for a further year. Now on to Noah, who will voice his opinions on the driver transfer market. Yeah, so obviously it's a, it's a wild situation. You know, this, this Alonso... Or sorry, well, first I should mention the the separate retirement that started all really. Um. Well, obviously he retired, and there was there was an opening at, at um Aston Martin, so it was people were wondering who would go there. You know, there were there were people saying possibly Piastri will 
you know, we not we had no idea really. And then, you know, we 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 thought Alonso's negotiations with Alpine were going well, but you know, obviously that wasn't the truth, and he ended up going to Aston Martin, a shock deal that came right out left field. Nobody was expecting it. Um, not even uh, not even Alpine were expecting it. And anyway, so that happened, and then there was an open to Alpine that had to be filled, and you know I think a lot of people had expected Piastri to fill that position. Um, Alpine uh, believed that. He was uh, contractually obliged to join Alpine, um, and in fact, they announced him uh, that he would drive for the next year. But he obviously, he obviously um, challenged this statement uh, himself. Uh, he released a statement of his own, saying he would not be racing for Alpine next year. And it it appears that um, he has been. Uh, in negotiations with McLaren to replace um, uh, Daniel Ricciardo, who has been struggling at, um, at McLaren for this season. Um, so you'd you'd expect that deal to to happen. I would. I think. I, um, I don't think Alpine really have a case, and. I think he will be clear to be allowed to join Parham. Although there is there is um there is another saying Daniel Ricardo um today uh has until September to take up his option with McLaren. Um for twenty twenty three is a month to find another team before uh, his future has put in put in McLaren's hands, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, will he go to Alpine? I'd say it would make sense for him to go there. Um, so I do expect that deal to happen. And finally, Williams. Um, obviously they've announced, as Luke mentioned, they've announced uh, Albon. Um, extending today, so he will be racing for Williams for the foreseeable future. Um, but there are there are many questions surrounding uh, Latifi's future. He's obviously um, he's obviously you know not really the driver that Williams need at the moment. They they need someone with potential, someone someone who can shake things up a little. So you know you'd expect them to replace him uh, for next season. And some of the names that have been mentioned include that Nick DeVries and Sargent. Um, Sargent obviously um, getting a go um, for Williams in the next Grand Prix uh, in practice to one. So, you know, is that a sign that he's, he's the front runner? Who knows? But I, I think in the end, um, they will go for Nick DeVries. I feel he's the more talented driver. Of the two, and I think, I think um, ultimately he will be the one racer for Williams next season alongside Alex Albon. Okay, thanks, Noah. Thanks for coming on again. Do you have any additional comments to add before you finish up? Uh, 
stops everything. Okay, perfect. Thanks.